Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of the Comfort Films podcast. Welcome. Welcome. This week, we're going to be discussing the 1989 classic film, Batman, directed by Tim Burton and starring Michael Keaton as Batman and Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Who is definitely the scene stealer. Yeah. In this movie. <laughs> when I go back, those lines that he has are the things that keep me yeah. glued to the screen. I gotta tell you, like, there's the two of them really is what makes me remember this movie the most. For sure. Um, but yeah, definitely the Joker. Jack Nicholson was so funny in this. And, I mean, this came out when I was, like, 11 or something. Wow. And so, I think that, you know, I wasn't really familiar with Jack Nicholson so much at that point. Yeah. So, this was kind of, like, one of my formative, like, Jack Nicholson experiences. Oh, wow. Okay. So, because, I mean, I'm sure I'd seen him in something. Mm -hmm. But, as you know, I didn't watch a ton of movies growing up. Mm-hmm. And most of his movies are more like, you know, adult-oriented type movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So, <laughs> it's nothing my mom and dad would have let me see. Mm -hmm. So, this is kind of like, oh, this is who Jack Nicholson is, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I can see that. Getting uh, ahead of myself, probably. No, not at all. I mean, what's funny is I wowed you when you said you were 11 years old. I was just 12 at yeah, this no. point. Yeah, Like, you're so, you're so much older and more mature than me. I mean, when you're 12 years old, i got to tell you, there's a whole shift in how you view cinema. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, of course. Of course. Yeah, I remember seeing this at Lincoln Plaza Cinemas in Worcester, Massachusetts, which now is a Target. Yes. Um, I do remember seeing this and having my eyes opened. I always dreamed for a comic book movie like this. Yeah. Because I watched the Superman films, and I enjoyed them, and I always wanted it to go a bit further. I wanted it to be a bit darker, grittier, more challenging. Yeah, and this is really the start of that Batman trajectory, which has only really continued as things have gone on. Absolutely. Before this, uh, you know, the, it's like the Batman TV show, mm -hmm. which I'm not pooping on it. Like, there's nothing wrong with the Batman TV show <laughs> or the Batman comics. Yeah. But honestly, they were a little bit on the ridiculous side sometimes mm -hmm. with like biff, pow, bam, and all these sounds during the fights and the crazy tights and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was a little, it felt a little silly to me even when I was a kid, and this was a lot more real. I mean, in this you have, like, a villain who feels more real and scary, even though he's nuts. Yeah. He's, like, really messing people up. And then your your Batman is, like, this darker kind of figure, mm -hmm. quiet, keeps to himself, mysterious, you know, and they've really just leaned into that more and more. Yeah. And it looks like they're really leaning into that in The Batman. Yes, The Batman. The Batman. Very, next week, we're going to go see The Batman. I'm very much looking forward to the viewing of The, <laughs> the Batman. <laughs> we keep making a lot of jokes about this at home. I mean, 
Because it's very funny. Like, people just love the character of Batman. It seems like they keep going back to that well. Yeah, it's a deep well. You had Batman. Then you had... So you had Batman and all the movies that came after that. Mm -hmm. Then you have, like, the Dark Knight kind of trilogy, which are great movies. Oh, yeah. And now it's like, well, we're going to make another Batman movie. Well, what are you going to call it? The Batman? Like, I don't know. I mean, what else are they going to do? I don't know. It's going to get interesting. Maybe they'll put his name in reverse. Yeah. Maybe it'll be Namtab. <laughs> and everyone will be like, what's Namtab? And then they'll figure it out and they'll go, oh, wow. The entire Nam-tab. movie will just be in reverse. And at the end, his parents will come back to life. Ooh. <laughs> now that, okay. Now that is like an extra step. <laughs> that is good work. Just saying, because every movie has, like, this origin story in it, it feels like. Well, and then, of course, we have, like, the Ben Affleck, the Justice League, Mm -hmm. that series with Batman as well, which I'd say has, like, some darkness to it. Yeah, well, you haven't seen the Zack Snyder cut Mm -hmm. of Justice League, and that is a much darker vision of Justice League. Yeah, well, I'm interested in that, but it's very long, and... I don't find myself with that many hours sure. to no. hang out with movies. It's a big time investment, and my yeah. schedule's a lot different than yours, so I get the luxury of seeing these things. Yeah. And it's, but it is, well, it but, is I mean, excellent. Well, I mean, you're busy, too. Yeah. But, I mean, you set aside time for it, and it's something that you and your brother were interested in. Yeah, A big lot, time. talking about, and you really wanted to see it and talk to him. That no, was a huge buildup. So, I mean, when it happened, when it came out, it was really an experience. And I was disappointed when I watched it because I had to break it up. I had to stop after two hours to do something. And I wished I could have taken the whole four-hour ride at once. Because when you have a momentum of a movie like that going, you don't want to break it. Really, it's like, you know, The Godfather. You know, mm. when you're in for that ride. You don't want to break that up. You just want to follow that story to the conclusion. Yeah, I got to come up with four hours one weekend where I can sit down with it because I am really interested Yeah. to check it out. Because I actually thought those movies were pretty decent. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think they get the same love that Marvel gets. Yeah. But for me, I grew up more in with DC. My, yeah. my dad loved comics. Mm-hmm. And he mostly had DC comics. Okay. So I had a lot of Superman, Batman, Aquaman, who was my favorite, even when it was just like lame old, like yellow suit Aquaman, whose power was talking to fish. Um, And like Wonder Woman, those are the comics that I kind of read. Yeah. If I read comics, I didn't really read comics as much as you did. I wasn't that into them Mm -hmm. because I was more of a book reader. Yeah. But when I did read comics, it was whatever my dad had laying around. And most of that was DC because I guess that's what he was the most interested in. Well, for me, it was a mix. It wasn't just one label that I was interested in. I I jumped around, you know, and then Dark Horse comics were big when we were uh, when we were growing up. Mm. And so we got into that. Um, I was a big fan of Conan. I, I read a lot of Conan. And all the different Conans that there were. There was Conan the Barbarian. There was, I believe, Conan the Savage Sword. Conan the King. Um, There could be more Conan. But you know what I mean? I I loved Conan. That would have been fun. I would have liked those too. They're excellent. And that's... Conan is my favorite character. And I forget 
you know, he has some comic book origins. Mm -hmm. You know, I, if you think about Robert E. Howard and those stories, which are decidedly not, you yeah. know, children's stories. <laughs> and, um, I love those movies, you know, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, Arnold Schwarzenegger for me is truly the one and only Conan. I did see the Jason Momoa film and it is excellent. I enjoyed it. He's very, very good. But it's just like when I was a kid, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the definitive Conan for me. My mind wrapped around the fact that this is Conan. And um, I, I, could, I can't really change it. And that type of character I really enjoy. And I'll watch that character and many other things. But if they give him the name Conan... You think and, Arnold. I think Arnold. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, those are, that is movies that I did see when I was little because my dad also really loved Conan. So yeah. I saw the Schwarzenegger Conan, at least Conan the Barbarian, mm -hmm. when I was really young. I mean, I remember the camel punching... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember that, like, very vividly. Like, that was something I super remembered. But yeah, I would have liked to read those comics or just the stories from Robert E. Howard. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think that in the 90s, things comic book-wise kind of shifted to people. And this could be just my experience, but... Mm -hmm. It shifted into people being really interested in X-Men comics. Yes, you were absolutely correct. That was one of the things that happened to me. I had a very large comic book collection as a kid. And X-Men was the big thing that everyone got me into. They're like, you got to look at X-Men. you got to look at X-Men. And then I was like, wow, X-Men. Yeah. And I also really enjoyed the standalone Wolverine series. Now, that took, you know, its rating all the way to the limit particularly when you went into the graphic novels. He was dealing with the worst human beings in the galaxy mm -hmm. consistently. And he was just shredding them, literally. <laughs> you know, it was like the equivalent of like the Death Wish movies with Charles Bronson. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was like these vigilante characters. Okay. That That's what we were, that's what we were looking at. Now, X-Men, not, you know, vigilantes <laughs> as much as the Wolverine standalone, but I gravitated more towards those books, like... Punisher. I was yeah. a big fan of Punisher. My friends and I, we would go through that. G.I. Joe, that was massive. I had a massive G.I. Joe collection. Yeah. And again, G.I. Joe had spinoffs. Like, I, I have so long now. I think there was G.I. Joe, then there was G.I. Joe Special Missions, I think. And then there was something else. Like, these things would become so big that just split off. X-Men, there were other teams that showed up. There was X-Force. There was Excalibur. You know, so it was like you had so much. Then it was like the uncanny X-Men. Mm -hmm. And then I, I can't remember, but it was just like these little changes in the names and yeah. completely different pictures. So none of my friends really were big comic book people, but my stepbrother and his wife were like massive X-Men people. They loved the X-Men comics. So sure. that was kind of where I got introduced to that. Not deeply, but enough so that I knew who X-Men were when, like, the movie came out. Yeah. You know, a few years later. But I felt like that was kind of, like, in the 90s. That was kind of the only time I was hearing about people reading comic books was those. And now when you and I started dating, which was in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. you, were our, you were pretty into graphic novels. Yes, yes. And I really didn't even... I hadn't even heard that term at the time. Okay. Um, not, I was an English major, so I was probably just 
shoulder deep in reading classics and old books and stuff at the time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a lot of leisure reading time. Yeah. But when I started going out with you, I kind of learned what graphic novels were and got into reading those because it's kind of a deeper story, but with like, you know, the comic panels and everything. And that was interesting to me because it was more like you're reading a book yeah. than like when you're reading a comic. It was, yeah, those are the journeys that, that I enjoyed the most. I Batman, for me, when I watched the POW Zowie show, I, mm-hmm. it is a great show, but it's a much different tone than what I wanted. Because I was reading these comic books that had a much harder tone, a darker tone. Mm -hmm. The Joker was a terrifying murderer. Yeah. You know, he was a killer. And he had this humor, but his humor just made you cringe. Because you're like, oh my God, what's he going to do? Like, he could tell you a chicken crossed the road and then saw a person in half. Yeah, and like the killing joke or something like that. But like... Yeah, when you look at like the old Caesar Romero version of the Joker, it was a lot more clowny and not so dangerous. Like the danger didn't feel like it was there. Yeah, it, it's you when you have the long Halloween, which for me that's that's the the my favorite Batman experience. I love that as well. It's fantastic. And then we also had you know the comic book rendition of that, the comic book films. You know they had a part one and part two that which came out awesome. recently, yeah. which were great. And then to some extent, we also see that in the Christopher Nolan films. Like, that was the idea, I think, um, before Heath Ledger's untimely passing, that they were going to go with that kind of long Halloween. Which would have been pretty phenomenal. I'm pretty sad about that. Because Heath Ledger is so great in The Dark Knight. I mean, this is something we probably want to address. We are doing a Batman episode because of... Um, the the Batman right. coming out, but we kind of had a real struggle deciding which one we wanted to talk about. It's hard because we really enjoy a lot of these Batman movies. Yeah, I mean, but we ended up taking Batman nineteen eighty nine because it's kind of like the shift. I think the tonal shift began there. Yes, but you know, we easily could have talked about the Dark Knight which yeah. is an unbelievably great movie mm-hmm. um, for so many reasons. And I'm sure we will devote an episode to it That's on the at list. some point yeah. in the future um, because it's just too good. I mean, Batman Begins as well. We I really, yeah. we were really struggling between Batman 1989, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, um, and really trying to decide what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um but I think we made the right choice for this moment in time to go back and look at when Batman kind of started to shift in the cultural psyche, if that's what I want to say. It's No, I think that's it. I mean, I thought I was really clever when I called it the batman <laughs> I you love know? the batman Because that's, that's just such a change. And, you know, in 1989, we had this film come out And then there was like this comic book live action explosion, right? The following year, we have Dick Tracy, right? Mm -hmm. And then we also had a live action Captain America, which I don't know that too many people really know about that. I haven't seen it and I had never heard of it until 
at some point, you know, in the last 10 years when the newer Captain America with Chris Evans was happening mm-hmm. and people were like, well, do you remember this Captain America? And yeah. I'm like, I do not. Right. So. It's it's a funny thing. I caught it on television one day and I was I wasn't familiar with it. And I always would watch anything to do with the comic books. I was always interested. And I was like, oh, wow. And, yeah, I, I was just sucked in. I, I've seen it several times. I've seen it several times. When I was younger, I turned a few people on to it. I was like, hey, have you seen this? I guess back to Batman. Back to Batman. Talking about superheroes in general. I mean, Batman was, since like I said, mostly I was exposed to DC because what my dad had around. I liked Batman. I don't. I wouldn't say like I loved Batman, but I was interested enough. I really wasn't that big of a fan of Superman. Mm-hmm. I haven't been. I loved Wonder Woman because of the TV show Wonder Woman when I was little. Yeah. And because it's a girl, so it's like exciting. Um, and it was then, a cool show. I used to watch that. Yeah, with Linda Carter, she's yeah. awesome. But like, yeah, I like that. But with Batman. Yeah, when I first, you know, I saw old episodes of the TV show, and I just thought it was kind of silly. Then when this movie came out, I feel like it the interest in Batman just absolutely exploded. Well, it opened the doors, you know, and again, it opened the doors to these comic book adaptations, live action, and then, you know, jump forward many years later to when The Dark Knight came out, The Dark Knight was so popular that it got people that do not like superheroes at all to like the film. So that's like the ultimate goal, to bring it to everyone. Yeah, make it mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I think that this, you know, was... I mean, Batman 1989 is very much a superhero movie, but it does start kind of coloring outside of that very limited little lines of what a superhero movie is. Mm Mm-hmm. By looking at this character of Bruce Wayne and being like, well, why does he do what he does? Yeah. You know, and I think that Michael Keaton did a very good job of playing the person, Bruce Wayne, and the character of Batman and really showing us, you know, how those two personas can coexist in one person. Well, and we also have the excitement of that same year, okay, 1989, Earlier in the year, the film The Dream Team came out. And The Dream Team, in a lot of ways, is similar to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. With Michael Keaton in a Jack Nicholson-esque character. So it's interesting that we have that, and then we go to a film where he's with Jack Nicholson. And the excitement of Batman, and, and we were noticing it this time, every scene is like Batman, Joker. Batman, Joker. So it's like they're battling. Yeah. They're not even, you know, fighting necessarily. You know, they are working against each other in every scene. But it's just like the way that we have these scenes positioned against each other, the the film itself, the editing, is like an all-out war. It's almost like you're describing a chess game in a way. Yes. To me, like you go and you see Batman make a move, then you go and see Joker make a counter move. Yes. And it keeps going back and forth and back and forth. And they do interact in a very limited way in the middle of the movie, but until the final confrontation, yeah, there's not a lot of direct um, contact, I guess. It's just that every time the Joker does something, the Batman kind of foils it a bit um, to the point where 
at the end when he steals the balloons. Yes. Like the Joker has all these balloons in this parade that are releasing the Smilex gas. And then Batman flies up in the Batwing mm-hmm. and just kind of grabs all those balloons and runs away with them. And I had a huge kick out of this this time. Just Jack Nicholson's Joker just being so irritated <laughs> that he's been foiled. He's like, he took all my balloons. He was just so irritated. It wasn't even like he was furiously mad at first. It's just like he was shocked. Like, I can't believe this guy got one over on me. And then, of course, he does get really mad and shoots Bob. Which is sad. Which is sad, because we love Bob, the sidekick. Tracy Walter, always an amazing kind of sidekick character. You are my number one guy. That was an amazing impression. Really? (laughs) No, not yours. Oh, I was like, wow, because my impressions are usually the pits. Uh, I felt great for a moment. You know what? I knew what you were doing, so we can give that. All right. You were doing Jack Nicholson doing Jack Palance, correct? Yes. So, you know, honestly, I guess I would say that that was a really good impression because... I could see that you weren't doing Jack Palance impression. You were doing a Jack Nicholson doing a Jack Palance impression. So it was a multi-layered moment for you. Awesome. Up top. Up top. Jack Nicholson, the Joker, and Michael Keaton, the Batman. Every time they meet up, someone dies or almost dies. We have our introductory scene, right, where, where those two meet in Axis Chemicals. Yes. Okay. And what happens there? Well, at that point, the Joker isn't the Joker yet. He's no. Jack Napier, who's just this henchman to the Jack Palance character. Grissom. Right. So he just is kind of this guy who goes out and does things for Grissom. And he gets, you know, he and Batman are fighting. And he's about to fall off the balcony into this vat of chemicals and Batman is like holding on to his hand so he doesn't fall and then there's like the giant question does Batman drop him into the vat or does Batman lose his grip and he falls into the vat I don't know when I think we I just accidentally vat. said Batman which is great I think that that's pretty awesome <laughs> um I I'm all about the Batman <laughs> I love that. Um, I do want to talk about this question of did he drop him or did he slip? I felt like when we watched it this time, I felt like he just straight up dropped his ass into the chemicals. (laughs) I felt the same way. I mean, I gotta say, I don't know that we're supposed to feel that way. The Joker later says, you dropped me into it. Yeah. So... From his POV, he was dropped. Do I trust him? Not necessarily. But when I just looked at the scene again, and you and me actually rolled it back to look a second time to see if there were any context clues that would enable us to feel like, you know, Batman really was trying hard. Mm -hmm. And, like, I went online and consulted, you know, the oracles at Quora to see what they said. (laughs) And everybody's like, oh, yeah, he just loses grip on him, whatever. But my point about that is this, okay? Even if we give Batman the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, he just lost his grip, 
Batman has a million things on his utility belt. Yes. Like rope thingies and, you know, cords and all this kind of stuff. Yep. And I feel like if Batman had really, really, really wanted to make sure that he saved Jack Napier before he fell into the vat and became the Batman <laughs> instead of the Batman, he could have done it. I think he could have done it, too. And, it, I mean, let, let's add an extra layer. Okay, so Jack Napier is hanging from some bar on, you know, the, the side of this, you know, overhead walkway right above this vat of bubbling green chemicals. He has his hand on the bar, and then with his other hand, he reaches up to take Batman's hand. Now, I don't understand why you would do this, but Jack Napier takes his hand that's on the bar off of the bar. And I don't understand that either. I don't know why you would do that. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if it's just like a, a thing that, you know, it, it wasn't meant to look like, you know, a straight up homicide. Um, <laughs> but I, I had a lot of questions on it. I just don't understand why you would take your other arm off that was supporting you from falling into these chemicals. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that either. I didn't know if it was maybe so he could try to get a better grip to climb up. Or if he was like committing suicide. I don't know. Or if he thought he could use that hand to pull Batman over with him. I have no idea. But I would say that it it is ambiguous. Yeah. And interestingly enough, later in the movie when they have a... I don't know if it's their second encounter, but it's the second encounter I'm remembering right now, which is when they run into each other at Vicki Vale's, I guess, apartment. Right. Where she inexplicably has popcorn and a bowl on the mantle. I have that. <laughs> I have yeah, that. Yeah, whenever I walk into someone's house, I immediately look for just the popcorn bowl. <laughs> The stale bowl of cold popcorn. I always take a few pieces, you know, just to be polite. <laughs> but, you know, at that point, uh, that's when the Joker says to Batman, did you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Right. And Batman realizes that this is the guy who shot his parents. Right. So... I think we're to assume that he doesn't really know that this guy killed his parents until later. But I don't know. If he did already know this mm -hmm. and he's holding this guy above this vat of chemicals, that certainly gives him a motive to just drop the dude and kill him. It's, I mean, Batman is a lot harder edged in this film than you've ever seen him. Yeah. This Batman, in my opinion, would kill someone and not lose any sleep over it. Yeah, if it was like a bad guy, I agree. I don't think that he's going to say, oh, this bad guy, you know, needed to be around. So, I mean, let's rewind the steps here at Axis Chemicals, okay? So, we have Jack Napier with a gun on this walkway, okay? And he shoots... Lieutenant Eckhart. Eckhart. Lieutenant Eckhart. Eckhart. <laughs> and, um, you know, who is a brilliant actor who played Porkins 
in <laughs> Star, Star Wars. Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. He was also in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Many films. I, I never realized how much this guy was all over our childhood. He's perfect in this part as like this kind of scummy detective. He's great. And it's like a touch of evil. It's like Orson Welles yeah, is great. what they're going for. So the, so Jack Napier shoots this corrupt cop. Yeah. Okay. And then what happens is the Batman gets Jack Napier. Okay. And we don't know what he's going to do with him. You know, he's got him lifted up. He pulls him up by his lapels, has him in the air. And then down on the ground, our main man, Bob, our yes. number one guy, takes Commissioner Gordon hostage. And he says, let him go or I'll do Gordon. So, Batman releases Jack Napier. Jack Napier then turns around and picks up his pistol off the ground. He gets the pistol, spins around, shoots Batman... Batman puts his forearms together, bullet ricochets, hits a gauge, yeah. glass sprays out, and I'm also guessing just the, the bullet itself, the ricochet, hits Jack Napier in the face. Yeah. And then Jack Napier falls over the railing, and so he's hanging below. Yeah. So... Uh, well, he's already been injured yeah. yeah, by this bullet ricochet in the glass. And he's also extremely vain, as we've seen earlier in the film. Oh, yeah, he's, like, looking in the mirror. And, yeah, he thinks he's amazing looking. And Yeah, the girlfriend goes, uh, Jerry Hall, <laughs> goes, you look amazing. And he goes, I didn't ask. Because <laughs> he doesn't need to. What a jerk. <laughs> oh, man. So ridiculous and awesome. But, yeah, yeah, so he has that. And, yes, he's already tried to... He's already killed one guy. Yeah. And he's already tried to kill Batman. Yeah. And I agree. Like, Batman is kind of, you know, your quick-serve dispenser of justice yes. in this movie. And I don't necessarily think he you know, needs to save this guy for a fair trial oh. when he's already seen, you know, what's going on. So I'm not really having a moral judgment one way no. or the other. Like I wouldn't drop a guy off a thing, even if he just killed some other dude. Yeah. But I'm not Batman and that's, you know, that's cool. So <laughs> Batman, you know, he's got our vote, man. <laughs> so remember that. Well, and then we have, you know, the second encounter, which is at Vicki Vale's apartment. Yes. Okay, so we have... Stale popcorn time. Oh, wait a minute. Is that the second encounter, or is it the museum? Does he encounter him at the museum? Does Batman show up at the museum? Yes, he does. Because he shows up there to get Vicki Vale. And he has that contraption he puts in front of the Joker's face... And it shoots suction cups or hooks onto either side of the walls. And then they kind of ride this rail out. Okay. And then we have the Joker say, where does he get those wonderful toys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, so there is that, that scene. That would be the second scene. Okay. But it's so quick. However, your theory still holds up. I think that somebody always is like... Getting the shaft or almost getting the shaft. <laughs> this one was quick and the Joker 
was in awe of Batman's device. Yeah. So I, I also like that there's this childlike play element between the Joker and Batman. But that's also the scene where we see Jerry Hall with that mask on. Oh, man, yes. And she's, like, kind of got acid burns and stuff on her face. That Yeah, because he makes art until someone dies. Yes. That's that we what still, he tells us. We're still talking about, yeah, a character either dying or being close to dying or something like that. So that still holds up. I honestly didn't even remember Batman showing up. Okay. I didn't remember the end of that scene because the beginning of it just kind of blows everything else out of my mind. Well, yeah, that is great. Where he shows up. He's got the music. Party man. Party man. He's dancing. He's spray painting paintings and ruining art, which I think is terrible. But it's just so perfect to know who this character is. That he's just so chaotic evil that he just doesn't care. It's just like whatever he needs to do to have a good time, whatever needs to be destroyed or damaged for him to have a good time, it's going to happen. Well, and the darkest, bleakest painting is the one that he once spared. (laughs) Yeah, he likes that one. He's like, don't mess with this one. But then he like releases that gas and like does all these people. So all those people are dead. All those people die. Yeah. Yeah. And Vicky Vale survives because he gave her a gas mask. Exactly. So, and, yeah. And then Batman comes in through the ceiling. Mm, okay, yeah. You remember? Yes. Yeah. Like, when and he then crashes he crashes through the glass. Yes. Yeah. I, I mostly remember that from the preview of the movie. Oh, it's funny. Because I remember them always showing that part in the preview because it was super cool. There was a toy store in Massachusetts. And I can't remember the name of the toy store. It was like a local store. And they used the Jack Nicholson clip from Batman. Where does he get those wonderful toys? And I always wondered, how did this hobby shop get the okay on this oh, one? Gosh. I always wonder if that just slid under the radar. I'm sure it did. Yeah. Yeah, he just narked him out on <laughs> the podcast we don't i didn't say who because i can't remember but yeah and you know i keep my mouth shut i never rat on my friends and so yeah no um yeah so okay so that was the second encounter then we were at vicky vale's popcorn time yeah and then what happens there we have the this you know standoff now this is interesting because Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne at this point. Yes. He's not Batman. That's true. So the, is it technically a Batman encounter? Yeah, it technically still is. But he doesn't really, like, fight him. Like, he does, like, an argument. He's, like, with words fighting with him. He's baiting him to shoot him. Yeah. Because he pulled, you know, this, this move where he took a silver tray and he put it underneath his shirt. Yeah. So that if he gets shot, the bullet will get caught in that. He can act dead, and then everything can move on. So he it's had like a to, lot of faith in the tray. He sure did, and he's also very fortunate that it was a small caliber bullet. Yeah. You know, and also when we see the tray, that bullet came through. It did pretty far, uh, and I also thought that going ahead and threatening the Joker. This certified A1 nut job, you know, as he's called, um, with a fire poker, yeah. you know, I just, I I don't know that I would have the stones 
you know, to make that move, you know. Um, he does say, though, and this is going back to Is It Batman? He does, Bruce Wayne, go up to the Joker and say, I know who you are. Wow. Yeah, like, it's so far out. You know, we get that line, you know, which is very funny from the Joker. Never rub another man's rhubarb. Oh, it's ridiculous. Just one of the many brilliant lines. Well, because this is when we, like, Joker is pursuing Vicki Vale. Yes. And she's, like, gone on a date with Bruce Wayne at this point. Um, So he's getting jealous, like, Joker's jealous that Vicki Vale is interested in Batman or Bruce Wayne. So Jack Nicholson, his relationships with the ladies in the film really, you know, put us on the path. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting because I'd never realized that before. If we go back to the beginning of the film, Jack Napier, before he becomes the Joker, is having a relationship with Alicia, played by Jerry Hall, who is the lady friend of Grissom, the big boss played by Jack Palance. Which is why he kind of sets, well, Grissom kind of sets up Jack Napier. Yes, he does. To fall because of this. Correct. He sends Jack Napier to Axis Chemicals to do uh, a job that looks like industrial sabotage. But it's actually something where he's called the police on them. Yeah. And the documents that they are there to rob have been taken from the vault. Yeah. So Jack Napier says, we've been ratted out, boys. You know, watch yourselves. And it's because of Jack Napier's betrayal that leads to Grissom's betrayal. Yeah. And then we have, because of this, the creation of the Joker. Now, here's a question I have. Okay. So, we see the Joker you know, fall into the chemicals. Mm-hmm. And then he gets out of it, obviously. He comes out in, like, some kind of river or something. Yeah, he's kind of washed out, which that really makes you question, like, the, uh, you know, OSHA <laughs> requirements in Gotham. Yeah. That you fall yeah. into this vat of chemicals, and his hand, like, comes up out of there with, like, these green nails right. and, like, his... Um, gloves are melting off or something. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, a few minutes later, or long enough that he didn't drown, he washes out in the river or something. Yeah. And uh, then he's alive, and he goes to the plastic surgeon. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's what I want to talk about. So he's at this plastic surgeon who has the, the barest of tools, you know, to work on him. So, one of the features of our Joker is that he has this inset smile in his face. Mm -hmm. Is that because of the ricochet and the bullet and the glass doing so much damage to his face that the only way that the plastic surgeon could, you know, save it or make it kind of normal is to push it into that smile? I think that that, I think that it is supposed to be a combination of the facial cuts mm-hmm. and the um, Axis chemical vat. Okay. Because the chemicals also change his coloration. It makes his face white. Mm-hmm. He's got this crazy red mouth. And then he has, like, the green hair. Yeah. 
And he has to keep covering his face up with makeup to look normal. Yep. With like the, like a, I don't know, flesh tone type of base or whatever he's putting on. Right. Um, so the color thing is definitely from the chemicals, but I felt like there must have been some action from the chemicals interacting with the cuts mm-hmm. that also made that face like the rictus grin yeah. that he has. Because I, I always had wondered about that. I, that was that was always a, a question for me. Yeah, I don't think they explained it like definitively, mm-hmm. um, but I think that you're on the right track with your assumption. Yeah. It's the same assumption I made. Well, and that scene is very scary because they don't actually reveal what now the Joker looks like. He's no longer Jack Napier. He's the Joker. We get that shot from the back of his head and we see him take off the bandages and we see the wild hair. Yeah, which is really just hand. Jack Nicholson's regular hair, of course. <laughs> it's yeah, I love his hair because he could make it so wild. <laughs> it is nuts looking. Yeah. We've always thought that. Like I remember watching some other 70s movie with him and you and I were watching it. We were laughing about this hair cuz his hair just kind of grows straight up. Yeah. Out of his head just like it's <laughs> It just has no chill. It's just like straight up, like just right out the top. And then he has to comb it back, but it doesn't want to stay back. No. Yeah. That's why uh, that other actor that we see, that we've seen now, um, Walton Goggins, who's great and a lot of newer stuff, really reminds me of Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Because he has like the toothy grin mm-hmm. and he also has the hair that grows straight up out of his head and it's just really funny to me they have a similar look and they both kind of play like these kind of chaotic characters a lot of the time fun fact i saw walton goggins when i was coming out of the men's room <laughs> at the egyptian at a screening of the hateful eight Yes. And he was very friendly. He was like, hey, man. I was like, hey. You know, it was great. That's really funny. Yeah. Uh, you run into a lot of celebrities in the in the bathroom. I do. I do. Because um, we had our Star Trek episode a few weeks back. Yes. And I don't think that we mentioned that you ran into Walter Koning <laughs> at, what was it, Mr. Holmes? Yes. Um. <laughs> And we saw him in line, and then later you saw him in the bathroom. Yeah, and he said hi to me. Yes. Awesome. That's Chekhov. Yes. If you aren't familiar with Star Trek, so it was really amazing. Big moments. Big moments. (laughs) Big moments. You always have to be on your guard when you go to the bathroom. (laughs) You don't know which, you know, celebrity you're going to run into. No, you never know. (laughs) Well, and then we have our final meeting between the Joker, and Batman. Now, this is kind of a longer affair, but again, all of it is life and death. The Joker has these balloons filled with, you know, this poison Smilex gas, and he's going to unleash it on the city. Batman flies in on the Batwing, takes away the balloons, gets them out of there, much to the chagrin of the Joker. Yes. And then... The hilarious chagrin. Right? And so then, Batman flies the Batwing straight at the Joker. And I have a question here, because, you know, in the Batwing, we see the targeting system. And it is a dead lock for the Joker. And somehow the bullets and the rockets 
all miss the Joker. And uh, it's kind of awesome, though, because then the Joker pulls out, like, this massive elephant gun. It's, like, five feet it's long. It's like a pistol, but it has, like, a barrel that's, yeah. like, yeah, five feet long. It goes all the way down his pant leg. It's hilarious. And he, in one shot, takes down the Batwing. Well, yeah, I mean, really? But that's awesome. It's hilarious, <laughs> yeah. but it's ridiculous. I mean, I love it. Sure. Don't ask me to stop. But it's like, it's ludicrous for to think that that would happen. Well, and then, you know, we go through our whole scene there where they go up the church tower, you know, up to the bells. Yes. I'm going to truncate this. But then what happens again? We're on the side of a building. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're not inside like in Axis Chemicals. We're outside, you know, up on this church tower. And... We have a deal where the Joker gets killed in the end. Yeah, well, he's hanging off the building. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he, like, pulls down Batman and Vicky Vale as well. And now they're hanging off the building, and he's mm-hmm. trying to stomp them off. And he's dancing. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. But then, you know, he ends up falling to his death. This time... No escape due to poor OSHA regulations. No. I mean, the things that I'd like to note, when Vicky Vale and Batman are hanging off the side of this church tower, he says to Vicky Vale, let me give you a hand. And then he reaches down, and she takes the hand, and it's literally a fake hand that comes <laughs> off. And she almost falls, and Batman catches her ridiculous again i his jokey weird stuff that he does in this it just really runs the gamut from being like this juvenile joke stuff to being like sort of scary you know creepy stuff well it's very scary stuff i mean when he goes to take off you actually i thought when it was the movies like oh my god the joker's gonna get away so the joker's henchman both with scars on their faces, I don't know why, um, are in the helicopter, and they throw down a ladder to the Joker, who's out here on this church tower. And the Joker gets on this ladder, and what happens is Batman shoots one of his bat guns, I don't know what you want to call it, and it wraps around one of the ankles of the Joker, And then the other side of it wraps around a gargoyle's head. Yeah. So the helicopter's trying to take off. The Joker can't ascend the ladder, you know, because he's stuck. The force of the helicopter actually pulls off the gargoyle's head, but that seems to make it even worse. It does make it worse, I think, because the gargoyle is so heavy that then it starts dragging him down Yeah. um, because it's kind of tied to his leg or whatever right and he can't climb and it just pulls him down and And, he falls and then he dies and it's you know but he does have a laughing box yeah you know so there's still this laughing sound when they go around the body and i found that so so disturbing right yeah because he's lying there broken on the ground yeah cratered sidewalk all around him Mm -hmm. with this death grimace rictus still on his face yeah and this laughing box that's just like (laughs) going off you know and and all these people crowding around so 
It's very disturbing and to that character. It's crazy. And then you go back and Vicky Vale and Batman are just swinging on the on the tower. Mm. Um, which again, I question. This happens in a lot of movies, and I always question it when somebody's like falling, but then they, you know, grab some rope and then they manage to like stop themselves from falling. But I feel like the force of like the jerk when the rope goes taut would be enough to like really hurt you. <laughs> I don't think that you would, you know, be that much better off if you're falling from a great height and, you know, have a sudden stop because the rope tightens. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'd like to look into the physics of this question because I ask it a lot when I watch a lot of different movies. It's a good question. It's a definite movie trope that I want to know the physics of. I kind of wonder if Mythbusters ever did anything on that. I'd be curious. Yeah, it would be interesting. Well, here's something that, that I want to say, which is funny. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Joker, who I love. Jack Nicholson. He's pa- billed first in this movie. Yes, actually. he is. Yes, he <laughs> is. Um, you know, one of my favorite actors of all time. Like, I, I've seen, I think, pretty much everything in his catalog. But I also am a huge fan of Michael Keaton ever since I was a kid. I have seen everything that I possibly can of Michael Keaton. And he's wildly talented as well. You know, this is his second movie with Tim Burton because he killed it in Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is an amazing movie, and I'm sure we'll do an episode on that. Oh, yeah. At some point, that was one of my favorite movies when I was a tween up there with Princess Bride for me. It's so inventive, and it's so funny, and, and it's so scary. And he's perfectly cast in that. Yeah. He's, he could, nobody could be better than no. him. For that no. Movie. He has so many tricks up his sleeve where he can really make you laugh. And he's able to tap into that same morbid sense of humor that the Joker is. Yes. It's really funny, because you could have really seen Michael Keaton playing the Joker, too, probably. What if we saw Jack Nicholson as Batman? Well, Jack Nicholson, I don't know. I feel like he could have done Batman years earlier. But no, what if it was then? In in 1989? That would have been awesome. With, like, the ab suit? Yes. (laughs) He wouldn't even want it. He was riding so high in the 80s. Yeah. He, I mean, so many great films that he had in the 80s. Uh, I mean, he had The Border, he had Witches of Eastwick. See, I thought you were going to start talking about The Last Detail. I mean, who isn't going to talk about The Last Detail <laughs> when there's an opportunity? No. I mean, brilliant. I mean, I love The Last Detail, Chinatown, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. I mean, we can go, I can go through all of them, but yeah. And we have. Heartburn. Like we, I love Heartburn. We did, like, a huge, like, Jack Nicholson thing where we just kept watching all of his movies, even, like, the really, really really old yeah like motorcycle kind of movies that he did yeah yeah i mean he's great he's always great and everything but i have to say i think this is one of my favorite things he did because i feel like he got to just really unleash that crazy sense of humor that he has and he just got to do whatever he wanted and it's interesting to me to see Michael Keaton play such a restrained character. Yes, yes, yes. And and do and he does a great job of very it. good, very very good. You know, and we've yeah. seen him do other things that are restrained too. But I think at the time I would really be thinking of him as like this, you know, big kind of comic kind of 
just funny guy. Yep. But yeah, I read some trivia on this that um, a lot of the things that we kind of probably now associate with Batman, like the lower voice and the kind of like silence and everything was kind of due to the costume um, uh, uh, that Michael Keaton had to wear in this because when he had that cowl on, he couldn't hear anything. Okay. And it kind of, he said it kind of isolated him in a certain way that actually helped him with the character. Huh. So, I mean, I think that's super interesting. Wow. Because a lot of the characteristics that I think Michael Keaton's Batman invented almost Mm -hmm. um, as far as Batman characterization are just due to him not being able to really hear very well in that cowl. So he kind of was closed off from other people mm-hmm. when he was in scenes or when he was doing things. And then also um, another trivia thing that I think you had mentioned to me was that he was concerned that it would be too obvious that Bruce Wayne was Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, so he talked with a lower voice so that it would be distinct from the Bruce Wayne voice. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, that's a lot of thought, and that's and that is something that we see, you know, throughout. Yeah. That is the norm. And yeah. I mean, um, Christian Bale certainly does like that different voice and plays like this kind of isolated Batman. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, I think that seeing Michael Keaton in this restrained character for me was the most exciting because I was a huge fan of his movie Clean and Sober. And I didn't see that when I was a kid. I saw that, you know, <laughs> yeah, much later. But <laughs> Clean and Sober is an absolutely brilliant performance of, you know, an addict alcoholic getting clean. It was a great movie and he was great in it. Mm-hmm. The funny thing that I want to tell you, because I don't think you read the Batman trivia on IMDb, mm-hmm. that's kind of the role that got him this role. No kidding. Yeah, because they saw him in that. And they really liked what he was doing, so they really were, like, stumping for him to get the Batman, Bruce Wayne part because of that movie. Wow. that I never knew that. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, that's that just shows you. I mean, this is the guy that we saw in Johnny Dangerously, you know? And this is the guy that we saw in, in Mr. Mom, you know? Man, yeah, what a talented, talented person. John Peters uh, was inspired to cast Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne because of his brooding against type performance in Clean and Sober in 1988. Wow. He also had Michael Keaton, um, a terrifying role, and I don't know what the year was, Pacific Heights. Pacific Heights, he was the villain. And in this, he was a renter, and he was intentionally destroying the property. That was a scary role. I yes. remember that. I didn't see that until much later. Oh, man. But it's scary because it's... That was the following year. Wow. Yeah. It That was that was a... That was a really powerful time for Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah. That was the stuff. And then, I mean, we had Batman Returns. I think it was 1992? Yes. 1992. Which I also enjoyed quite a bit as well. Yeah, we could have we could have done that one too. Yeah, another good one. Because Penguin and then the Christopher Walken character. Yes. I mean that that was amazing. Max Shrek. Yep. Michael Keaton was appealing as an actor to me because he could play an everyman. 
And he also tapped into that in the movie Gung Ho. Mm, yeah, that's a great movie. Yes, where he's working on the on the car lines. Underappreciated. Yeah, it's just all of these these different roles where he was a leader. He was an underdog. And, you know, he had, like, Johnny Dangerously, where he could do his rapid-fire comedy, which was great. And that was also really big in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. But, again, I think for me, what I enjoyed more were these quieter, smoldering, more intense performances. Yeah, he was really good at both. And that I think that is really cool when you can see a person that can do that. And I think Jack Nicholson is a similar actor. Absolutely. Because we think about him in these big kind of roles, like the Joker, but he also was in a lot of movies where he played like a quieter character. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, he can do all of it. He's, he's great. The King of Marvin Gardens. King of Marvin Gardens is a great underappreciated movie where he is very restrained. That monologue at the beginning. Yeah. Well, and he's with a lot of people who are playing like huge. Mm -hmm. And he's like very toned down in that. The Border, which I think is my favorite performance. Excellent movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'll watch him in anything. Putting these two guys together that both have a wild man energy and then both can dial it down. I mean, how could you not have a hit on your hands? I know. It's just, it was really inspired choices that were made. And, you know, overall, there's great people in this movie. Yes. Tracy Walter, as we said, always plays like this great henchman. I think Jack Palance is a good choice. Excellent. As like this bad guy, because he just has this crazy face, you know? He has yeah, like this yeah. bony kind of skull face and this breathy, weird voice. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of off-putting. Um, you have Pat Hengel. Pat Hengel. As who Commissioner looks, Gordon. Yeah, Pat Hengel is Commissioner Gordon. Uh, Pat Hengel looks like my Uncle Art, which is really <laughs> funny to me all the time. Because I'm like, oh, it's Uncle Art. He and, does look like him. But it was really funny when we were watching this. When, you know, the they're at this party or whatever at the beginning. Yeah. And... and one of the other people comes up to Gordon to tell him, you know, something's happened. And he's like, and who's on this case? And they're like, it's Lieutenant Eckhart. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, it couldn't be worse. No, he really hates it. He really hates it. And I also like the other part at the very end when they're at the church. And Batman, the Joker, Vicky Vale have all gone up. And the Joker has sent this bell, one of the bells from the church tower, all the way down the stairs, destroying the stairs and barricading the entrance. Yeah. So Commissioner Gordon sees this bell in the entrance, walks up, tries to push the bell by himself. It doesn't budge. And then he's like, okay, boys, you know, we, <laughs> like we got to find, yeah, <laughs> find another way in. <laughs> And I was just like, what? Like, there were all these other police officers there that could have assisted him. They could have made more no. of an effort. If he can't do it alone, it can't be done. <laughs> just forget it. Just don't even think about it. <laughs> we have Billy D. Williams as yes. Harvey Dent, who is drastically underutilized. Oh, I mean, it sucks, because I would have loved to have seen him as Two-Face. I would have, too. So I really wish they had stuck with him, but I don't know. I didn't read up on what happened there. Um, but I thought even in the small part that he was in here, he was really good because he plays like this really smooth kind of Harvey Dent 
who, you know, you can really see is kind of a mover and shaker in Gotham. Yeah. Really nice work. Um, we have Robert Wall as, like, this reporter. I thought he was so funny when I was a kid. I mean, I still think he's funny, but I remember when I was a kid, it was like the spark of joy. Because it was like a nerdier, doofier guy that was funny. Yeah. And, like, he got to hang out with Kim Basinger. And I was like, wow, he got to hang out with Kim Basinger. He's just a funny guy. I could be a funny guy. I love you, Robert Wall. Well, and, of course, I was leaving her to last, but Kim Basinger is hugely important. Yes. In this movie, even though she doesn't really have a whole lot to do. Besides play like the damsel in distress most of the time. Yeah. Um, but she just has like this iconic kind of look of that late 80s time period. Yeah. With like that, you know, spiral perm blonde hair and the mm-hmm. bangs. <laughs> and always like they have her wearing white, which is honestly mystifying in the first uh in that ballroom scene yes at the beginning because they walk into this kind of museum room at bruce wayne's mansion uh her and Knox, and he's got on this you know uh tux and she's got on this humongous white dress and i was like what are they getting married <laughs> that was so good like she looks like she's wearing a wedding dress it's funny yeah. and Knox is robert Wall. But yeah, so they're in that room and she just looks like she's going down the aisle or whatever. So I was very confused. But then throughout the movie, they have her in white, mm-hmm. you know, as like this innocent kind of a person or whatever, I guess is what they're trying to go for. Who wants, you know, who the Joker wants to corrupt. Um, but I think she does a great job in this. She's great. And let's talk about another connection, if we can. She does, Vicki Vale does this whole spread on the Corto Maltese. Yes, which is this fake island in D.C., apparently. And we had just rewatched The Suicide Squad. Yep. Um, the 2021 James Gunn movie, which takes place, for the most part, in Corto Maltese. Yeah. Um, so, when we watched this, and... You know, I think Bruce Wayne first uh, meets Kim Basinger's character, Vicky Vale, and he's like, oh, didn't you take all those pictures in the Cordo Maltese? And even before that, she had said something about it, and we were like, wait a minute. Yeah. We just read about this. I actually looked it up to see if it was a real place or, or you know, a place that no longer exists that used to be a real place because I was like, this is too weird. Well, I'll t- I'm gonna let you in on a secret. I thought it was real. You did. I did. I thought it was real. I mean, no, I don't think that that's out of the question of thinking it's real because there's been a lot of times when a country used to exist and it no longer exists, mm-hmm. especially like these little banana republics or like you know different different countries that are in developing nations and got overthrown and got restarted as something else it's not out of the question that something could have existed but i thought the same thing i had to check i checked that's because you're smart i didn't feel confident that it wasn't a real place that maybe i just somehow missed knowing about yeah well it's something else in this movie that i want to bring up the cinematography in the film and the use of light and shadow and you know it's like a, a noir type of feel 
But there's a particular sequence that stands out to me. This is Jack Napier, now the Joker, comes back to Grissom's office to confront him about the betrayal. So we have Grissom in his office, and it's dark. And then we have Jack Napier, the Joker, comes in the doorway. We see the, the door open. We see the light come in. And we see this figure in shadow. And we don't know who it is. But we can hear the Joker. And then the Joker steps into the light. And that is the first reveal of his face. It is horrifying. Yeah. It's very scary. It's a terrifying scene. And Jack Palance is such a great actor that he has enough presence to stand up to Jack Nicholson. It's a very tense scene. It's a brief scene, but it's so powerful. And the use of light and shadow continues throughout the film. There's just these pools of light yeah. that you see people walk into. And that, that, that scene actually, I believe, is echoed later mm-hmm. when Batman or Bruce Wayne has like the flashback to when his parents were killed. Yes. And he sees this figure who's in a shadow mm-hmm. and says, have you danced, ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? And then the person steps out of the shadow and it's this young Jack Napier. And that's when he makes the connection that this is the guy that killed his parents. And it's like a similar reveal moment to when the Joker steps out and reveals himself to Grissom. That's amazing. That's amazing. I never thought about that. That's one of those things that must have just rolled by and I never, like, registered it. I wouldn't say I really did either. I didn't even think about it until you just were mentioning... That scene, which is really a great scene mm-hmm. where he reveals himself to Grissom. The other thing is that Grissom's office is so awesome looking. Yes. Like it's so tall and like has like the big dark windows and things like that. And it's just really designed well. I love like the production design of this movie. Yes. I love like the choice to go with the darkness um, as kind of almost a character here. Yes. And I think that that's definitely something that was super influential because you have the, like the darkness of Batman in all the other movies Mm -hmm. that have come out since then. You have like this guy who's head to toe black in the dark, always hiding in the shadows. Whereas if you do go back to the old television show, Mm -hmm. he had more of like a gray kind of suit. Yeah with black elements to it he couldn't have just been hiding in the dark yeah the same way that this newer kind of more updated batman does well he still does have the yellow around the bat on his chest that that's the one thing i think is there to keep in mind that this is still the batman that we know i think it's just like okay here's a token yeah that's the only thing that i i find um impractical in the bat suit is that yellow. It is impractical, but it is also iconic. Yes. Because I remember after this movie came out, everyone had the shirt. Yes. With that yellow logo. Yes. Everyone. It's and it's it says everything. They don't even need the name. No. No, it, it's absolutely iconic. And I love that. Like I love the shape of that bat logo. 
And the yellow does really kind of set it off. Or the gold. It's kind of more gold, almost, I think, in this. But, yeah, everybody. That was everywhere. Well, this type of, like, dark city, what I always think about is Blade Runner. Now, I've never read anything uh, citing Blade Runner as an influence on this, though I'm sure Tim Burton had seen Blade Runner in his life. Christopher Nolan, when he did the Batman films, actually showed his crew Blade Runner and said, this is the type of look that, that I want to have. Interesting. So when we look at this Batman and we see the city, that is what I find so exciting is we've got an entire city. It's like this steampunk yeah. mixed with, I don't know, like some kind of iconic uh, 40s, I guess, like architecture. The, it makes me think of Metropolis. Yes. It's a, it's a fantastic... It's a fantastic backdrop. And we're introduced to the city very well in the opening sequence, which is a fake-out. Yes. Which is a great fake-out because we have you know, a family, and they, they feel like they're from the Midwest. They're definitely out-of-towners. You have the father, you have the mother, and then you have the son. And they're trying to get a cab, and they can't get a cab. And the father is just like, I'm taking charge. And he decides to take them through, like, the dankest alley you've ever seen. Yeah, like, what a just absolute dumbass yeah it's like how stupid are you pal and then you know they get mugged you yeah, know and of course they're lucky batman you know is around you yeah. know what i mean he doesn't show up at that moment to save them but he does get the villains yeah well and it's funny because yeah they're definitely saying they're like flirting with the idea of the backstory yeah. of, Bat of bruce wayne with his parents but really quickly, in an interesting way, you find you figure out, okay, this is not the Waynes. These are not like these rich people and, you know, they're not locals. These are yeah. like tourists. So it was, I thought that was a really interesting way to open. Uh, because also, I don't think that like that backstory of Bruce Wayne was so iconic now as it is now. Yeah. Like, because if you hadn't read the comic books, maybe you didn't really know as much. But now every, every, everything with Batman has, like, you have to remember that his parents got killed and that, you know, his orphaning, being orphaned as a young child and growing up alone with just um, Alfred in this giant mansion is such a huge part of who he is. Well, the Batman says it does not include the origin story. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Another actor that I want to bring up that we hadn't mentioned is Alfred. Yes, that's true. This Alfred is a great Alfred. He's very strong. And again, when I hear Alfred, I still think of Michael Goh, if I'm saying it right. Goff? I'm not sure. Go? I, was just, I was just like, is it Goff? Is it Go? Is it Guff? I, I'm sorry, I don't know. It's G-O-U-G-H, everybody. So but I, I, I don't know. He does have like the look that I think of when I think about Alfred. Yes. Um, and again, you know, in the Dark Knight trilogy, it's Michael Caine who I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about that. Mm -hmm. He was amazing. He's Oh, he killed it. I mean, we went through all of the Christopher Nolan films. We've been doing a lot of Batmaning here lately. Yeah, we've been batting it up. 
batting it around. Yeah, and it's it's great because Michael Caine is, you know, he seems intelligent. You know, he has that wit. And then he also brings the thunder. And by that, we mean he brings the emotion, oh, yeah. the tears. When we are in Dark Knight Rises and we get to the point where Alfred and Bruce Wayne have to part ways... Oh. There are some man tears, and they are juicy. <laughs> Genuine man tears are shed. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really good. I Yeah, Michael Caine is kind of unbelievably good. But I still have to say that this Alfred by this Michael, I'm going to say Goff, okay. is so seminal to me in my head that like this is who I would think of. And he just kind of has this no-nonsense manner but you know how much he cares about bruce wayne mm-hmm. and you know he's just the perfect kind of sidekick you know guy that's like helping him out behind the scenes and just really excellent job by him fantastic job so i have another question why is it that so many people in gotham look like they have some kind of like wasting disease you know, wait before or after the Joker. Okay, I'm jumping back to where we were with the initial fake out scene with the mugging okay. of the I'll call them again the Midwestern family. I don't know if they're from the Midwest, but well, it feels like it. Yes. Well, I think we're just supposed to think that Gotham is a very, very bad place. Yes, those two robbers look like they have, like, the sif or something. Yeah, they're, like, white as a sheet, and they got, like, these kind of boils, and, and one of the, the muggers has kind of, like, an acne-scarred skin to begin with, and I feel like they're they're playing that up. Yeah, I'm assuming that that's just to tell us that this is a diseased city. <laughs> well, not everyone has it. Not and... a literally diseased city, right. but, like, the city itself is rotten and all the people are victims of that yeah well we see in the movie the smile x and and what that does and that basically turns you into the joker that same smile the hair you know the nails you know the lips and you start laughing until you die yeah i mean i think that and and what he's done is that he's put that into the beauty products so like (laughs) if you use any of these beauty products in combination then they've been tainted with smilex and it can give you like this disease or you know kill you so everybody (laughs) which i thought this is hilarious and you did too starts like not wearing makeup yes you know they all look hellish on the news yes and it's super funny because the the newscaster guy, uh, the first time you see him, he's like all polished and everything. Mm-hmm. Then the next time after he's had to stop wearing, you know, the makeup, he's got like zits all over him. And he looks like he hasn't slept in days. <laughs> it's terrible. And it's really funny. But I thought that was like one of the coolest things. And this was this idea of him, like of the Joker, like tainting and adulterating these products because that was something we were afraid of 
at the time. Like in the eighties, like yeah. people had died from like the Tylenol taintings yes. or whatever. I don't really exactly remember because I was a little kid, but I do remember that that was when you started having a lot of tamper resistant packaging and things mm-hmm. like this because people, you know, had been hurt or killed by people adulterating products. And that was something we were afraid of. And then it's made real in this that he does that. And I think it's hilarious when he breaks in on the newscast with his commercial or whatever. Love that Joker. He's been using Brand X. (laughs) But with Smilex, I get a grin again and again. again. (laughs) Uh, So unbelievably great. Let's do our favorite Jack Nicholson lines as the Joker. So hard. Okay. This town needs an enema. You're stealing all the good ones. You already said don't rub another man's rhubarb. I did. And this town needs an enema is possibly my favorite. And I also like when he's there and he uh, sets one of the mobsters on fire at the big meaning. (laughs) Yeah. And he starts singing. Oh, yes. There'll be a hot time in the old town tonight, I believe. Is what he's saying. I believe you're correct. And he also says that uh, the guy's getting a little hot under the collar. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then he also, uh, when he's cutting out a picture of Vicki Vale, okay, Bob has taken photographs because he's been following. uh, I can't remember if he was tasked to follow Batman or Bruce Wayne. I'm guessing Bruce Wayne, but I don't know. Maybe it was Batman. But anyway, Bob comes back with these pictures and there are pictures of Kim Basinger, Vicky Vale. Yeah. And he's like, uh, Bob, I think I'm getting a new girl. I'm trading up. And then he starts cutting out her picture and he goes, <laughs> I think I'm going to stay in the lines on this one. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, my God. Oh, there's the other part where uh, he's out there shooting money out into the crowd before he releases the balloons. That's yeah. how he's drawn everyone into this location to release the gas is that he's shooting out money and having a parade. Yes. And he says, <laughs> who do you trust? Me. I'm giving away free money. And where's the Batman? He's at home washing his tights. <laughs> of course, that's right when Batman shows up and like steals the balloons. But it's so good. It's he great. stole my balloons. So mad about it. He really hated that. That's more contextual and funny. Oh, God. Also, when they're like, when they're having like their ultimate fight at the top of the bell tower, Mm -hmm. and Bruce Wayne, you know, confronts Joker and says, You killed my parents. And it's right after Joker said, I made you, or you made me right? Mm -hmm. He's like, you made me because you dropped me into this vat. And then Batman's like, well, you killed my parents, so you made me first. And then he's like, Joker's like, I mean, I I say I made you, you gotta say you made me? How childish can you guess? (laughs) It's like he's like turning the tables on him. And then he puts on glasses. You wouldn't punch a guy with glasses now, would you? Oh, then he hits him and then he goes over the side. Oh, and when they walk into the museum, he says, Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. <laughs> uh, 
I'm the world's first functioning homicidal artist. <laughs> I believe that's what he said. Yeah. It's I mean, it's just anything he says, I I think is it. Oh yeah, anything. Where does he get those wonderful toys? Of course. Yeah. Oh, and then when he says it can truly be said I have a bat in my belfry. <laughs> He, I knew he had to make that joke when they were going up into a belfry. Oh, man. Well, and then also when one of the gangsters is doing a press conference and saying that Grissom uh, told him to take over all of his operations while he was away, and then the Joker shows up dressed as a clown. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I'm paraphrasing, he's like, I was there. When he signed it, he reached up and signed it with his cold, dead hand with this pen. <laughs> that was a terrible paraphrase. But And then what does he say to the guy? He goes, hello, Vinny. It's Uncle Bingo. Time to pay the check. <laughs> Uncle Bingo. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, it, it's... It's it's perfect. Yeah, I could just I, I wish I bet there is some sort of like super cut of just Jack Nicholson. Yes. In this movie, and if I didn't have time to watch the whole movie, I probably would just watch that, just for some laughs. Mm. I mean, we just personally always are saying this town needs an enema. That's to a great each line. other all the time. Well, and also you said that Jack Nicholson would actually watch this movie weekly at his house. Yeah, that's what in the trivia of the movie on IMDb it says that. Jack Nicholson loves this performance of his so much that he would just watch it all the time after it came out because it just made him so happy. Because he just loved being able to play a character that was so free to do anything. Yeah. Um, because, he, you know, he likes it. He's the kind of actor who likes to kind of be unleashed. But, of course, he has to, you know, act within the boundaries of his character. And what he loved about this character is it has no boundaries. Yeah. Like, the defining characteristic of the Joker is that he's completely unpredictable. So you could just go off the rails, and it was perfectly in line with the character. And he really kind of bonded with that and just loved loved it and had a great time. And you can feel it. You can just yes. feel that he had a great time you know, doing this movie and making it. And, you know, everybody, I think, seemed to have a good time with it. Like, I read trivia also that Michael Keaton was terrified because he was going to be in this movie with Jack, with, like, the Jack Nicholson. Yeah, right. But then Jack Nicholson is just so at ease and great and just was so comfortable with everyone and friendly that they ended up becoming really good friends and they had a fantastic time doing this movie. It was just like making a movie with your buddy. Oh, that's awesome. Which is the perfect and ideal experience. That's the dream. You're a superhero. You're doing a movie with Jack Nicholson as the Joker, and you're hanging out. Yeah. Pretty mint. Pretty, pretty good. So two things that we should talk about before we escape. <laughs> Prince and the uh, car. Yes. Yes. Prince did the music for this movie, and it is all great. Mm-hmm all super great yeah i mean there's also a score element it's danny elfman yes which is great yeah um but then there's the prince songs in this and um i don't really think you could have really picked a more ideal choice of a pop star to do music for this movie than no. prince at that time yeah um everything he was doing just fit into that time period so well 
and it also translated into this movie really well Mm -hmm. and somehow like it like i don't know like the prince songs with jack nicholson somehow fit together yes in like a really perfect way so i mean i think they're i think it was a perfect choice well the two songs that i remember that were with jack nicholson where prince was really featured were party man when they were tearing up the museum and then the song trust when he was giving away the money at the parade yes both of those are i mean yeah trust is just a catchy song and it really fit in that scene because everybody's just in this party atmosphere Mm -hmm. and it was just that prince feel and they also had a big song the big single i think at the time was the song bat dance and kim basinger possibly could have been in the video as well well i think she was dating prince Okay. Around this time as well. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was after, before, during. I'm not sure. Okay. But I think she and Prince like were in relationships. And maybe they met um, doing a video or something for it. Pretty Interesting. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, excellent point with the music. And then what was the other thing? The car. Oh, God, the car. This Batmobile is awesome. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about any gadgets, anything like that. But the car is just the car. Yes. It's the one that I think of. The one from the original series with Adam West and Burt Ward was an excellent car. I really liked it. And we've seen both of those in real life. Yeah. Um, We've gone to a museum that, that I guess, did we see the old Batmobile at the Peterson also? Or did we see that somewhere else? I'm not sure. Well, I know that we've seen both. But the Batmobile from this movie, I believe, we saw at Peterson Museum here in L.A., and it looks as awesome as it does in this movie. Like, it's so huge. I love that. And it's, like, cobbled together out of all these other car parts and stuff. But it looks so awesome. And I loved how he could just, like, lock it down like a tank. Yes, and, and just, it was bulletproof. It, you know, could do whatever you wanted it to do. I mean, it could dri- he could drive it remotely. Yeah. Uh, it couldn't have been cooler. No. And it's like the engine, um, it, it just looks like a, a, a jet turbine. Yeah. that I think that's probably what it is. Like a small prop plane turbine or something that's stuck into the car but it just looks so powerful and there are no doors there's just that hatch that just slides forward super cool jump in and out that was so cool and it just hauls and what was great is it moves so fast through gotham that when it comes time to take the turns it shoots a grappling hook Yes. So it wraps around the lamppost so it can actually make <laughs> so it the can turn. can swing around. Yes. That's so cool. Yeah, I love that car. The fins, yeah. I don't know if any car to me ever made, made it up to that level after. Like some of the vehicles that Bruce Wayne has in the Dark Knight movies are yes. awesome. For me, the coolest one in that is that motorcycle. Oh. <sighs> When it drops out. When it, like, can go sideways because the wheels will just spin sideways. Yes. That that motorcycle is awesome. But the car in this movie just was my favorite car. Now, is that the same motorcycle that's in Dark Knight? Because you remember, he's in the car in Dark Knight and the car gets blown up. It's like critical damage. So then he jumps out and it's, it's a motorcycle. 
Is that the same motorcycle from Dark Knight to Dark Knight Rises, or is that a different one? I am not 100% sure, because okay. I don't remember if it goes sideways in Dark Knight. I thought and it did. It may, but I just, I feel like I could see that happening more in Dark Knight Rises, particularly when Catwoman was riding it okay. in Dark Knight Rises. It just seemed super cool. But yeah, that motorcycle from Dark Knight is amazing. I loved the Batwing in the 1989 Batman, and I was sad that it was used so little. I know. I feel like they could have done more with it, but I think, I mean, the movie is only so long, I guess. Right. So, but what they did do with it was cool, and I, I did think it was so neat that he had that like as an option to fly around, too. It was almost like a, a human-sized drone plane or something. Yeah. It was really neat. Let's talk very briefly about the fat shaming of Kim Basinger. Um, when they're in the alley and Batman has a, a grappling hook on his utility belt, asks, you know, Vicki Vale, Kim Basinger, you know, how much do you weigh? She's like about 108. And so he shoots this grappling hook and they're going up. And then I guess Kim Basinger's weight is too much. So Batman drops off. And lets her, you know, go the rest of the distance and he falls into some garbage and into the alley to fight some villains. Yeah. Then later he goes to her, you weigh a little bit more than 108. Yeah. Like, like what? Oh, so, you know, sorry. What? Sorry, cow lady. <laughs> it's so stupid. Like, oh gosh, what does she weigh? 111? I Yeah. I mean, that was. Spare I, me. That's really good stuff. Yeah. Oh God. Like, please. Anyway, it's anyway. like the same weight as one of my legs. So, <laughs> I think my yeah, goatee I can, I can just that. imagine myself going up on a grappling hook would be like the slowest dumb waiter of all time. <laughs> I don't think it would be too good. I wouldn't even get the grappling hook in the right place. I would just shoot it sideways and just do something. Then you crazy. would just get mad and just go up the fire escape or something. Something. Like, Screw it. Right. That's yeah, me. I can feel that. I would probably do that, too. Well, I think that we should talk about the food. Yeah, so what food does Batman make you think of? It makes me think of a cream-filled pastry. Hmm, okay. And the reason for that is, again, it reminds me of my youth. I used to have those a lot. We used to have tea and these cream-filled pastries. And they were really light. And they were really sweet. The reason that I think about them is because the cream was so white. <laughs> and I love opposites. <laughs> so it's like I think about Batman and this darkness. And then I think about the cream that's inside the pastry. <laughs> and I'm like, what a great mix. This is amazing. You know? And, uh, yeah. And also, it's just like, you know, you have this cream-filled pastry. And I could imagine, like... Just the Batmobile, like, flying through there and all this cream going everywhere. <laughs> Shoot, no. Yeah, right? I could see that. That's really funny. <laughs> but it's, yeah, a great memory. I mean, I remember seeing a Batman in the theater as a kid, completely blown away. I actually bought a souvenir program. Uh, unfortunately, did not survive the test of time. But I I loved this movie. I loved the experience. It, it opened my eyes. And it was just such a treat just like this pastry used to be when I was a That's kid. That's great. I love that. Yeah, I think I would go with, apropos of nothing, Cool Ranch Doritos. Nice. 
Um, it just, when I think about like the late eighties, I just remember eating Doritos. Sure. I'm not sure if Cool Ranch Doritos even existed at that time or when they came out, but for whatever reason, I just feel like Cool Ranch Doritos were like my thing then. Mm -hmm. I did feel like that was kind of a treat. It was spicy. It was crunchy. It was everything I wanted in a snack. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was like that same kind of summer movie where you just, at that age, it's exactly what you're looking for. There's action. There's fun. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's crazy. It's colorful, but it's dark. There's like this iconic storytelling going on. Yes. And yeah, it's also just a good time. It's an absolute good time. It's an absolute good time. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it it just is good eats. Good like, eats, it is. Whole Ranch Doritos. Yeah. So, that's what I feel like. Um, all right. So, that was a, it for Batman 1989. Yes. Um, fantastic, fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, again, we're looking forward to The Batman. Yes. Next Friday. Um, probably we'll mention something about that movie when we come back next week. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, we might do a special little, um, short sash, just doing a spoiler-free discussion. And you know us in a short sash. It'll only be 150 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) It'll only be longer than the already long movie. Right. Uh, yeah, no. I think that we would try to make it actually short because we don't want to spoiler anything for anyone. Right. Um, but we probably might want to jump on and just record our thoughts because this would be uh, something that we haven't done. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about a more recent movie that just came out since movies are just starting to happen in theaters again. Yeah. Um, it's exciting to be able to go and watch something and, and chat about that. So. Uh, look out for that, and then uh, otherwise we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming as well next week. And who knows what that'll be? No, not me, that's for sure. Yes, it will be a surprise. <laughs> I'm sure that we have it written down somewhere, but... Somewhere. I forgot. And so. we might change our mind. We, we like to keep it fresh. We always do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Stay comfy. Stay comfy.